Well, welcome, welcome, everybody. It's so good to see those of you who are here with us in person. Welcome to all of you who are watching online. If we've not met yet, my name is JP, and I'm so honored to be pastor here and to be able to uh, be part of your Sunday morning. So if you're joining us, again, either in person or online, uh, we thank you. We honor you for uh, being part of our service today. And so um, we want to uh, just can jump right in as we've been uh, going through a series. This is the second week uh, of a brand new series talking about families. And so as we get ready for that uh, and as we dive into that topic together, I'm going to ask that you to join me uh, in a word of prayer. Um, as we welcome God into this place. I mean, he's already here, but maybe we need to open our hearts to see how he's already here. So will you, uh, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are. You are here in this place, wherever here is for us uh, locationally, Lord. Whether our location is we are here indoors or we are watching online, Lord, you are here with us. And may we never forget that you are all-powerful, that you are ever-present, um, and, Lord, that we know that we could cry out to you and you are so very, very near and dear to us. So, Lord, I pray that as we um, dive in today that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. We love you and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. We're in a series called Some Assembly Required. And uh, Dan Lewis, if you watched or were here last week or watched online last week, Dan Lewis just did a fantastic job uh, starting off the series talking about how it starts with me. I mean, he didn't say it started with me, JP, but it starts with me as in us, right? So uh, just recognize it all starts with us and our walk with God. And that's how we build the foundation for families and how we relate to God. Now, our series is called Some Assembly Required. And Dan, again, did a great job expanding the idea that family is not just the people who live in our, in our homes. It's not just our immediate family. It could be our extended family. It could be the friends that we call family and our coworkers. I mean, it could be where we have influence. And that our families need Jesus. And so we need families, we need families or excuse me, the world needs families that look like Jesus. So we need to look to Jesus and become more like him. Right, And so we, we look at that, and, but this idea of some assembly required talks about how this is not an easy thing. This is not something that it just takes a few moments to, to, to build up our families. But families take a long time. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And so this past week, uh, we're really excited. Uh, my mom moved from Santa Clara up in the Bay Area here to Escondido, just two and a half miles away. And so we're very excited. And so uh, you guys can clap for that. Um, she's hanging out uh, here today, so I'm not going to point her out, but she's the one next to Steph, so it's not hard to find. Um, so, uh, you know, we're really excited about that. And so we moved her in on Tuesday. She flew down on Tuesday, moved in on Wednesday. And Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to some degree or another, entailed me putting together some piece of furniture uh, at her house. So there was assembly that needed to be required. And I, uh, I think that people who design furniture, like they're very smart, uh, they're, very, they're very good at, you know, communicating. Sometimes it's like pictures and it's like, oh, it's like Legos, but for adults. But they're little, um, they have a, a far greater view of my abilities than I have of myself. So it's like a, a dining room table and it says assembly time, 20 minutes. Like, I can barely make mac and cheese to eat at that table in 20 minutes. So this is not going to be a very quick thing. But it's this idea of that there's things that we have to put together. And, and so our, our service today, our sermon today is talking about pulling up a chairs. I'm building chairs. And, and I had a hard time, you know, getting all the screws in. It's, it's one of those things that's very humbling when you realize something that's meant to be so simple can become so hard. 
and I'm taking my time here. Every, I think almost every piece of furniture I tried to make at one point or another, I got it wrong. I didn't quite figure it out. Um, Steph just came and helped me because she's like the handy one in our family. Um, and so she, you know, we were able to work together. But um, there was one particular thing that I thought was just going to be super simple. And it was just a, a TV stand for my mom. And so we have the, um, I believe we have just, it's just called lack and, and Spoiler alert, it's because it lacks common sense. It's fine. Uh, but lack, and it's just a very basic uh, TV stand. You know, it's, it's four legs. There's a little shelf underneath. should be fine. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that step two of this very basic um, plan is a double-edged screw that goes, there's four of them that go into the bottom of the table. And according to their very clear instructions, you're supposed to just be able to use your hands on a threaded screw and screw it somehow by hand inside this table. Now, the hole is there. There is a pre-drilled hole, but this lacks sense to me, right? And so I'm trying, and we, Steph and I, we realized we had one of these uh, same types of tables, but we didn't know until we bought it again. And so um, I ended up just frustrated because you can't get a good grip. Every time you move, it's the, the thread is, is against your fingers, and it just, it just hurts, and you're just sick of it. And it's like, okay, eventually one of the women who, helped, um, who helps my mom get transitioned into the um, place, uh, she let us borrow pliers, and so I'm like using pliers. I'm seeing like little metal shavings falling down. I'm like, well, this is what it's got to be. And so we're able to eventually get it on, and her TV stand works, and it stands for TV. It's great. But this idea of building this should not be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard. And yet, building up families and the life that God has for us, what families are meant to be, shouldn't be hard. And yet, it is. It can be. We look at this, this thought that, you know, we should say, okay, we follow God and we love Jesus and that that's what we need. But do we do all the things? Do we live that out in such a way that it impacts our lives and our families' lives, our, our spouse or our children. And so today, we're going we're gonna to have a conversation. You know when someone says, hey, pull up a chair. Sometimes it's like a really inviting, like, hey, pull up a chair. Let's hang out for a bit. And sometimes it's like, hey, like, we got we to talk about some stuff a little bit. And so we're going we're gonna to pull up a chair today. And I'm going to start off right off the bat and, and kind of let you know there's going to be some times in here that there might be some things that are a little tough for you to hear. And I know that because there are some times in here that there are going to be some things that are going to be a little tough for me to say. But yet, as someone who has the honor of, of being a pastor, we get to speak the truth in love. But truth without love is not really truth. And love that's not founded in truth is not really love. So I love you all enough to ask maybe some tough questions, to, to present some difficult discussions, and to wrestle with things that may not feel comfortable. The God is a God of comfort, but following him is not comfortable. And so we're going to pull up a chair today, have a conversation, navigate different things, because these three chairs that you see uh, next to me, they represent different perspectives of how people live. And all of us, excuse me, each of us falls into one of these chairs today. Now, the chairs can move, not, not the physical chairs, but our, our, where we're sitting can change based on season, based on what's going on. But as of today, we're going to describe three different chairs and how they respond or how we interact with God and how that impacts our families. 
And this is going to take a lot of assembly. It's going to be required. Now, before we dive into unpacking the different dynamics, I, I, I must be clear that um, a lot of the material from this sermon um, comes from a book called Experience, Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. For some reason today, I can't say the word experiencing spiritual. It's just, it's been rough. Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs um, uh, by Bruce Wilkinson. Uh, so I encourage you to check that out. It's called The Power of Three Chairs. Uh, and some of the other content that I am uh, wrestled with and, and looked at was uh, from Don Wilson, who is a pastor who used to be at CCV in Arizona. Um, and now he preached a sermon at New Hope Church um, a few years ago that some of this content came from. But I remember hearing a sermon very similar to this years ago, and it impacted me. And so as we were praying about, or as I was praying, what's the next sermon? I, I wanted to share this. It's not original with me, but I hope that it is thought-provoking and challenging enough for us to discuss together this morning. And so I'm going to re reference these two, or excuse me, these three different chairs and explain the worldviews, explain the process, explain what that looks like for each and every one of people as they're looking at these three chairs. Now, the first chair is the chair that, that we would call someone who is devoted, someone who's devoted to their walk with God. Now, if you are someone who likes to take notes, um, we have sermon notes either a piece of paper uh, when you came in. You also can use the Bible app, um, and you can follow along and send yourself notes that way. Um, don't all scramble at once, people. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, looking at the first idea is being devoted to your relationship with God. That Joshua, in Joshua 24, 15, after he's, this is a man who's, been uh, throughout the wilderness. He had the opportunity, and he and Caleb were like, let's take the promised land in Numbers 13 and 14, but the people rebelled, and so then he was part of the wilderness for 40 more years, and so it wasn't until he was an older man that he was able to finally get into the promised land, lead God's people into Canaan, and to be able to conquer uh, the different people that were there so that God's set-apart land for God's set-apart people could be fulfilled and filled with his people. So as an old man, He's saying these words and uh, the fact that the Joshua 24, 15, he says this. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If you grew up in a Christian home or if you are in a Christian home now, you might have, like we have this uh, verse um, on, and as a part of uh, word art, like a scripture on a piece of wood inside our house. When we went to look at this house, this verse was on the door knocker. And we're like, oh, God's given us this house. Like, I don't know. We're like, we're really excited about it. Um, it's like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But here's the truth, that there can be Christians inside of a home but it may not fully be a Christian home. What, what do I mean by that? That there's a, there's weird, this chair is the chair of being devoted to God. We see this in David, that David was a man after God's own heart. And he was chosen by God because of his heart after the Lord in order to be um, the king and the leader of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet, he was a great king. He was a great shepherd. He was a great leader. He was a great worshiper. He wrote beautiful psalms. But he was not necessarily a great dad. You see a lot of strife that went on and how he ignored certain things. He didn't, he didn't 
go out, he didn't um, confront his children. He didn't raise them up as well. He wasn't necessarily a great husband. And so we can be devoted to God and still have gaps in our relationship with him. And, and our, our hope and our goal is that we become more and more people in this first chair. We'll unpack some characteristics of first chair Christians a little bit more in a moment. But I want to take some time here to go to the second chair, where if the first chair is devoted, the second chair is divided. This is, these are people who love Jesus. They, they are Christians. They've surrendered their lives to the Lord. They, would, they, they go to church when they're able to. They pray. They do, they do things that they love Jesus, but their lives are not maybe singularly devoted or focused on him. It's the idea of Jesus plus something else. Or it's the idea of what I, what I really want is popularity or success or a great career or for my kids to go to a great school or whatever it is. And so I want Jesus to get me there rather than recognizing that Jesus is our full devotion and all when we seek him first in his kingdom and righteousness, that all other things will be given to us. It's where is our focus? Where is our devotion? Are we divided? The example here is um, Solomon in uh, 1 Kings, that he was the wisest man who ever lived. He was David's son. So just one generation after David was Solomon. Solomon was so wise. He starts off his kingship so, so very well. 1 Kings 3 and 4, he, God shows up to him in a dream and offers him riches and all these things and power. And he says, God, just give me wisdom. Give me a discerning heart so I may lead your people. God is so pleased with Solomon's response that he gives him riches and everything else on top of it. And wisdom beyond anyone at that time. And yet even people who are wise, if our focuses are foci, if our focuses are divided, we end up doing things that are compromising our faith. That Solomon was someone who knew the word of God. And in God's word in Deuteronomy, it talks about how there are certain things kings should not do. Kings should not worship other gods. Kings should not marry foreign people, foreign women. Kings should not, it gets even so specific that kings should not go back to Egypt to get horses and chariots to become more powerful. And as you contrast that list with 1 Kings 11 here, you see that Solomon, who was wise, broke every single one of those things. Why? Because his heart became divided. He was wise, but he still wanted wealth. And he still wanted wives and concubines. He still wanted power. And his, his focus, just one generation after having a dad who was fully devoted, his mindset was divided. It's the idea of, if you've ever, uh, there's a, a movie that was a um, romantic comedy when, when Steph and I were in high school called A Walk to Remember. And it's this movie where there's, you know, it's, it's a teenage couple and the girl shares about how one of the things she wants to do on her bucket list is to be in two places at once. And so the, the, the boy, as he's trying to impress her, drives her uh, to, um, so she doesn't know where she is. He drives her. That sounded a lot more sketchy than it meant to be. Um, she dri he drives her to like a state border, essentially. And he says, okay, put one foot here and one foot here. And don't move. And she's like, what are you doing? She's like, okay, you, don't move. She's like, you're acting crazy. Like, what's going on? She's like, you are on the state border with one foot in one state and one foot in the other. She's like, okay. And he's like, you're in two places at once. And so she's like, and she like hugs him and like musical montage. Like it's very, very nice. Um, 
But this moment of, you know, he fulfilled a bucket list, two places at once. And in a romantic comedy, that sounds romantic. It sounds great. In a walk with God, two places at once often means you're not in either place at all. If you have one foot in God's life and then the word and one foot in the world and you're divided, you're not devoted. You're not experiencing the life God has for you. You're not doing that. If you're divided, two different focuses in your life. The way of the world does not drift us closer to God. If we're living as the world wants us to live and as we're living as our culture and those around us see, if that's the mode upon which we are basing our lives, then we will slowly but surely drift further away from devotion rather than drift towards it. Jesus says himself, he says that wide is the, ro- is the road and broad is the way that leads to destruction, yet narrow is the way that leads to life. That while most fish go downstream, salmon go upstream, while the world goes one direction, we need to be intentional as followers of Christ to go closer to devoted, being fully devoted to him. And so this chair are people who love Jesus, but we, it's Jesus plus something else. Jesus cannot be added to our agenda. He's a whole new agenda, as Patrick Morley says. So we have the chair of devoted, the chair of divided. And this last one is maybe some of you watching, some of you maybe here. This is the chair that doesn't really, doesn't really understand why there's even an importance for God. This word we put here is this is, a, this is someone who's distant from God. And I use the word distant because it doesn't even necessarily mean that they're longing to be closer. They kind of know that they don't follow God. They don't maybe have an interest in God. Maybe if you're watching and you're here in person or you're watching online, you, you might consider yourself in this chair. Maybe you came because a loved one invited you or um, because you just, you know, you, you wanted to, to just come. And that's great. We're so glad that you are here if that's you. But your heart's cry is not to be closer to God. If anyone were to ask you if you follow Jesus, you would very clearly and, and you know, you just say, no, that's not, you know, that's not where I base my life. It might be based on a myriad other things, but Jesus is not it. And so whereas these two are Christians, this one who is distant is, is very much not. And so all of us are in one of these three chairs this morning. And the example for, for the distant one is the example of Rehoboam, which is David, his son Solomon, had a son, Rehoboam. And in Rehoboam, we start to see how he um, became king and he didn't listen to wise counsel. He listened to his friends and um, ended up you know, taking bad advice. God ends up taking 10 out of the 12 kingdoms away from Rehoboam and sends it to Jeroboam in the north. So Rehoboam is someone who is very much looked on as um, he divided the kingdom because he was not following wise counsel. Here's how he's described in 1 Kings 14, 21 through 22. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Nama. She was an Ammonite. Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. So, Somehow, the, the, the nation of Israel who had a king who was devoted to God and was a man after God's own heart was not perfect. Why? Because none of us are. But even when he sinned, his heart was of repentance and confession. 
and he, and he knew that he had done wrong. So within a ge- two generations, we go from someone who's devoted to a son who is divided to a grandson who is distant and created so much division and, dis- and there was such a distance between the people and God that it talks about how his, God's jealous anger was stronger than ever before. See, we are all in one of these three chairs. Devoted. Devoted or distant or some of us in the middle, divided. Now let me give some characteristics of these three to unpack a little bit more. So I'm just going to take a, a few moments here just to kind of maybe help us to identify a little bit better which one of these we are in. I'm going to take a few different topics and say how does someone in each of these three different chairs Look at this. How do we respond? So if you're someone, if you're talking about just a relationship with God and believing, believing the Bible, believing God's word, believing who Jesus is, people who are devoted, they live it out. You see their faith in action. You see how even when difficult trials come, they cling closer to God. That if the word of God says to do something and they're doing something else, They allow the word of God, the Bible, to be what dictates how they respond. Not their feelings, not their friends, not the family, not those around them. But the word of God helps them guide how they live. There are people who come to church because they love to be amongst God's people. And it's a joy to look forward to Sunday morning every week. Because that's when we get to, not have to, we get to be amongst God's people worshiping and hearing about God's word and coming together. People who are devoted are people who will freely give of their time to serve, to help one another, whether inside the church or outside. People who freely give of their finances. People who freely give and use their talents. They're, they're people who live it out. People who are in the second chair who are divided, they believe it. They don't always live it. They know the truth of who Jesus is, but sometimes the, the greatest distance many of us have to travel in our lives is, is the 18 inches from what we know in our minds to our hearts and how we work it in our hands, how we live based off of what we know. We can know things and not change our lives in light of our knowledge. Many of us, and, and according to the book, according to the messages, this seat of divided is where the majority of those of us who follow Jesus are sitting today. And that's a hard statement to say. But again, speaking the truth in love. Many of us are divided. We want Jesus. We do. We love him. But we want something else too. We, we see those who live out their faith. And we say, oh, I can never be like that. So I'm just going to do the best I can to follow Jesus when I can, to come to church when it's convenient or when I'm able to, when there's nothing else going on. I'll, I'll read my Bible when, when I remember to or if I'm able to. I'll, I'll pray at meals. And so it's, you still love Jesus, but our focus can be divided. This is not a salvation issue, right? This is an issue of drawing close to the Lord, but being divided. In our walk with God, we're divided. Therefore, we don't necessarily always live it out, but we do believe it. If you're distant, then honestly, you're unaffected by it. Maybe you could say that you, you just ignore God's word because it has no sway in your life. It, it doesn't hold weight. And for those of us who in chair one or chair two, we believe it's the inspired word of God. 
and you say, yeah, there's some good stories in there. There's some things I don't agree with in there. There's some things that I would never believe in there. So if you're sitting in chair three, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about your relationship with God. But you're here today. So my hope and my prayer is that you would just allow some of this to to, just rattle around in in your mind and, and wrestle with for a little bit today. So we think about our word of God. Now, what about, how do, how do people in these three different chairs look at marriage? Okay, we're talking about families. This is some assembly required looking at a series about building up our families. How do people in this chair look at marriage? People in the ch- devoted chair look at marriage as a covenant. It's a covenant. It is something that we went between before God and our family and our friends. And we committed a vow in covenant to stay with this person Come what may, for rich or for poor, sickness and in health, to love and to cherish and to honor and obey. That we say, we don't know what this, our lives together will, what we'll face, but we do know we will face it together. And God will be the center. He will be the third strand, the center strand around which we wrap our lives because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We see marriage, if in the chair one, as a covenant. Chair two, we see marriage. If you're sitting in chair two, you see it as a contract. It's still important. You still want to hold on to it. You still want to say, I I want to commit to it. But a contract where a covenant cannot be broken, a contract can be breached and or broken. So you want it to last. You want it to work. But sadly, we know that the divorce rate amongst Christians is is not that dissimilar from those who don't know Jesus. And so there's a degree to which some of us, struggle and it's like it's a contract it's it's hard we want it to work out but sometimes it doesn't and then if you're in the chair of distant then you might just sometimes people who are in this chair just think of marriage as something that's a convenience if it's convenient we'll stay together but if this person stops meeting my needs i'm out if this person doesn't you know care or or isn't around or whatever it may be it's it's if it's not convenient for me anymore then we leave. Now, to be clear, does God love everyone in every one of these chairs? Yes. Does that mean that if you've experienced any of these things that you are less than loved by God? No. But let's self-assess, let's self-acknowledge where we are today. So if marriage is those different ways, what about kids? What are your goals for your kids? If you're a chair one, your goal for your kids is to raise them to be godly. It's to help them to have the scripture so that they go and they... Um, the, the word has been trained in them and put in them that the word of God does not return void, that we train them in the way that they should go and in the end they would not depart from it. it. It means that our goal is not to just have them be great kids. We want them to be that, but we want them to be great kids because God has made a change in their lives. We share what God is doing in our lives. We pray with them, we lead them, we guide them, we study the word with them. We show them that church is important. We do these things and we want them to be godly. Sometimes if we are in a divided space, we do want them to be godly, but when it boils down to it, we really just want them to be good kids. We want them to be good, do the right thing, without necessarily knowing why to do the right thing. Hey, don't do this, don't do that, don't, whatever it may be, without recognizing that the reason why we don't do those things is because we want to honor God with every part of our lives. We want to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbors, ourselves. We think we want to be, we want our kids to be good. Is there anything wrong with our kids being good? No. But is that our main focus? And then if you're here in the distant chair, you might look at your kids, and it's not about 
being godly, because again, that doesn't, that, that's not a pull on your heart at this moment. It's not just to be good. It's you want them to be successful. And here's the difference, is that you can be successful. You can train your kids to be successful by knocking everybody around them down in order for them to rise up. You could, not, you could show them that other people don't matter because they are all stepping, people are stepping stones for you to achieve your goals. You can train them up to say, okay, it's most important for you to have a lot of money or to have a certain career or to have a certain level of power or to have a certain role. That's what's most important. So do whatever you need to be to do successful. Cut any corners, lose integrity, whatever it may be. You might just say, I just want my kids to be successful. Again, do we want kids to be successful? Yes. But success is not defined according to the world's definition of success. When we are devoted, success is defined by godliness, Christ-likeness, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we've looked at these different things, and, and I want to um, take a moment to then ask a few questions. Which of these chairs, devoted, divided, distant, which one do you think is the most stressed often. There's no need to respond out loud, right? Like, just what do you think is most stressed? Well, there could be stressors in our lives, but if we are devoted, we know that Jesus is our foundation. There could be no other foundation that has been laid other than Christ Jesus. So when there's winds, when there's waves, when there's storms, when the earth is shattering around us, we build our foundation upon the rock. And so therefore, we acknowledge, okay, Things are stressful, and I'm having a hard time, but I know that my peace and my hope and my joy is in a firm foundation that cannot be shaken. So, so they're probably not the ones who are most stressed if you're sitting in um, chair one. doesn't mean bad things don't happen, but how do you respond? What if you're in chair three? Well, you're not super stressed about this relationship with God thing because, again, it doesn't, it doesn't hold a sway on you. It's not something that tugs at your heart. And so if that's you... You have your own stressors, but very little of that has to do with anything with God. Maybe it's because someone you know and love loves God and there's a stressor there, but for the most part, you're not that stressed about it. You don't feel that tension of how you want to live and how you're currently living. So which chair is often the most stressed is this second chair, the one who's divided, the one that when the decision comes, if I'm going to do this God's way or not, I feel that tension because I want to be here, but I feel myself drifting here. And there's stress and anxiety. Does that mean you can't have anxiety in chair one? Of course not. But it means that as our, our, our mindset and as how we're navigating difficulties, if we feel that tension in our walk with God, that we want one thing but we're living differently, that creates tension and anxiety and stress. Now, this is one of the tougher questions. Not because the answer, but because of the impact. Which of these, out of these three chairs, where do you think the children of each of these chairs will end up? Which chair will the children of each of these chairs end up? Well, if you're in chair one, and, you, and you're living it out, you are devoted to God. Well, they're going to see, your kids are going to see how when difficulties came, you ran and claimed to God. They're going to see how you turned to prayer, how the church surrounded you, and they found a community of people who loved you, and because you were committed to be part of it, you too were able to be blessed and bless others. They're going to see how 
God's word is important to you and you shape your life around it. Does that mean that every chair one Christian is going to have chair one kids automatically? No. You know why? Because we can all rebel. As I read in a book about parenthood years ago, parents can do the right things and kids can still have a hard time. That's not a shame on the parents. And the proof of that is the fact that God himself is the perfect father and rumor has it even his kids rebel. So it's not about shame if you are in chair one, if your kids aren't following the Lord. What it is about is how do we best set them up to do so? How do we best model for them how to live that out? And so if you're a chair one Christian, more, the, the, the numbers and more likely than not your kids are most likely to be chair one out of all the different ones if you are chair one Christian yourself. If you're chair three Christian, well, you're raising them in the way that, that you know and that's important to you. So they will stay distant from God. That's not, that's not a surprise that just naturally outside of God working in their lives differently, you are raising them the way that you've been raised or the way that's important to you. And so they will likely follow your footsteps. Here's the kicker. If you are in this spot right here, if you are in the chair of being divided, your kids will not be in the chair of being divided. Your kids will be far more likely to be in the chair of being distant. Because they will see that when you struggled, you felt tension and stress, and you didn't know what to do. You didn't follow God when the rubber met the road. They will see that prayer didn't really mean anything to you. So if it didn't mean anything to you, why would it mean something to them? They will see that church attendance was an option or a convenience rather than a commitment to community. And so, parents, if we are sitting in one or two and you want your kids to follow the Lord, if for no other reason than for your kids' sake, we need to long and yearn and push and strive to be chair one Christians who are fully devoted to God in every aspect of our lives. We need to long to be like Christ so that our kids can know that we aren't perfect. They'll know that they'll be the first ones to remind you how imperfect you are. But all the more will God's perfection and grace show through your imperfections. And the way that you forgive and talk to one another will show them that they can be forgiven and loved, not because they're perfect, but because they're yours. And then they'll realize they don't need to be perfect to be loved by God. They're loved because they're his. So the last question is, which chair are you currently in? Chair of being devoted, divided, or distant? And if you're in the chair of being de devoted, then my, the, the call to action today is to, is to remember your commitment and to stand firm as Joshua did, to remember that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you are in chair two, this is your opportunity. The call to action is to repent. It's a harsh word. Sounds like we hear, oh, repentance, it's a horrible thing. What it means is a U-turn. It means you are sitting in chair one, but because of the weight of the world, the worries of the world, the stressors of things going on, you've started to drift and you've started to walk closer towards chair two, where chair one is now in your rear view. And to repent means to stop and to make a U-turn and to go back in the other direction. 
So all that means today is that if you need to repent, it means that you need to stop going towards being a, 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 a chair two or a chair three person and turn around and then walk back to the, receiving the invitation to be devoted to God again. So you would repent. And then if you're in chair three, thank you for sitting and listening to us talk about all this stuff. It's not easy. And, and you being here or you listening online, whatever it may be, that, 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 that's a beautiful thing. And I want to honor and thank you for spending some time with us. And the only thing that I would encourage you to do, if chair one is to remember, if chair two is to repent, then chair three, you are invited to receive. Receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus has for you. Maybe for your entire life, maybe for your entire life, it, the, the things of God have made no sense and make no difference for you. But maybe today, you're feeling a little tug on your heart. Maybe your heart's beating a little bit faster. Maybe you're wondering if someone turned, on the, uh, turned up the heat, which if you're watching online, that's not on me, that's on you. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe you're wondering, maybe today's the day where I can receive the invitation to have a life that is meant to be close to God. We were created for relationship with him. C.S. Lewis talks about how there are appetites we all have. And the appetites that are God-given that we are created with are appetites that can and will be fulfilled. Because why would he create an appetite for which we cannot receive fulfillment? So if we're hungry, we feel hunger, there's food, a way for that to be fulfilled. If we're thirsty and we need something to drink, there's a way for that to be fulfilled. All of us have an appetite deep down within our souls, whether we like it or not, that eternity is in our hearts. That we have an appetite for something that's greater than ourselves and to be a part of eternity, to live beyond what this world has to offer. And the only way that that can be fulfilled in the best way possible is through a relationship with Jesus. He's the one that fulfills that longing in our hearts. So if you're in chair three, receive that invitation today. Receive that, that opportunity to one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, all of us making our way towards the first chair. For us, for our spouse, our kids, and for a thousand generations, since God will bless those to a thousand generations of those who love him, and who obey his commands. Let's know it starts with us. And may we become those first chair Christians. So that for generations. As long as people, our family line is in the earth. That they would know and love Jesus. And have the blessing of God in their lives. Father we thank you that you are with us God. And, and I know there are some things that are a little uncomfortable. We ask ourselves what chair we're in. And. We may have started off this sermon so very clearly recognizing, that, oh, we know we're in chair one. We know we're devoted. But Lord, Holy Spirit, as you've unpacked this for us, as we've wrestled with things, as we are hearing statements that maybe resonate with us more in one of the other chairs, God, I pray that we would not hide from truth, for truth without, or love without truth is not really love. So may we not hide from the truth that you love us, but you also want us to be more like you and to change in areas in which we aren't like you. God, I pray that you would stir within our hearts now, Lord. Help us to feel your presence 
calling us to that receiving that invitation, calling us to repentance or calling us to remember our commitment to you so that we may be able to change generations for our future kids so that they would not be drifting away, but they would be drawing close to you, Lord. So Jesus, we thank you for this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.